Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Thanks very much, Mike, for uh, for that scripture this morning. I know it's a bit of a, a bit of a marathon passage to to get through. And good morning, everyone. It's it's good to be with you this morning, even though we're um, we're on Zoom. So. So a few weeks ago, Mike asked me if I would, would take on today's sermon on what, as you can tell from that scripture reading, is a very straightforward passage, nice and simple topic. It's just, you know, what happens when we die, the second coming, simple stuff. Um, and I obviously said yes. And when I was preparing for this sermon, I thought back to some of my first memories thinking about this topic ever. Um, and I, I grew up in the church, so I thought about it before, um, before maybe some people would have. And... And what immediately came to mind is the series of books and then later movies called Left Behind that some of you, some of you might have seen and potentially been traumatized by, like me. Uh, and and I remember seeing this movie when I was about nine or ten. It came out in the year two thousand. And and in this movie, so so the whole the whole series of books and movies is about the end times. It's about the tribulation, the rapture, all all that stuff. And the the movie starts with well the beginning of the scene where the rapture happens and all of a sudden all the Christians from Earth are gone without any without any warning their clothes are still there which is alarming so all these empty clothes just lying everywhere um, but the people are all gone and I remember after after watching that I had this reaction where where I wasn't really scared watching the movie but afterwards I was scared that would happen that I would just be left behind and people would be raptured and all these Christians I knew would be gone but you know for some reason I wasn't good enough. And I didn't get raptured. And so I had this fear. I don't think I've ever actually told my mom this before, and she's on the Zoom this morning. But I remember multiple times when I was a kid and I'd watch this, I'd like lose track of her in a, in a, in a grocery store or somewhere else in public. And I'd turn a corner, couldn't find her, and I would be convinced for a moment, and my heart would sink because I would think that I had been left behind and, and she had been raptured, and I was, I was pretty worried about it. So, uh, um, so obviously that never happened, but I remember kind of that fear and obviously it stuck with me for the last, the last 20 years. So, uh, so, so obviously it was powerful. And while we're not talking this morning specifically about the rapture, um, we are going to be talking a bit about what happens, what the Bible says happens at Jesus' second coming. And so if this is your, uh, your first time with us, so you're not usually with us, this, this morning is, is part of a series we're doing on the book of 1 Corinthians called Table Manners. Um, and as many of you will know, this, this, this letter, the book of 1 Corinthians, is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in about the 60s AD. In this letter, Paul covers a number of topics, and we've already talked about the many, many of them in the sermon series, um, including lawsuits among believers, marriage, divorce, singleness, conscience, and a bunch of other, a bunch of other important topics. And last week on Easter Sunday, Mike quite appropriately talked about the resurrection. And when we say the word resurrection kind of in church world, often that refers to Christ's resurrection. Um, but sometimes it doesn't actually, we don't often talk about the resurrection of the dead. So today we're going to be talking about, we're going to kind of be continuing on from last week. So we're going just beyond Christ's resurrection and we're going forward towards um, what happens at Jesus' second coming. And that's the resurrection of the dead. And so kind of the outline of this morning, what I'm going to talk about is five five things. So so the first thing is going to talk about the context for this letter when it was written. It's going to call it the Corinthian context, what was going on 2,000 years ago when, when Paul put pen to paper, and a bit about our context today in reading this. 
then I'm going to talk about what Paul has to say about the resurrection of this dead and of the dead in this passage in First Corinthians 15. And then the third thing, we're going to speak a little bit about what our resurrected bodies are or aren't like. And then fourth, we're going to speak about how this idea of resurrection of the dead fits into the whole scope of the gospel. And then lastly, why this topic, why the resurrection matters. So those are the, those are the five things of here, hopefully following along at home. And so to start out, talking about the context in which this letter was written, talking about Corinth about 2,000 years ago, um, as we've said a few times, reading this book is a bit like reading someone's email or, or in this case, good old-fashioned snail mail. And we have one half of the conversation. So we have this letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. There's obviously a second one in the Bible as well. But we don't have the return correspondence. We don't have the letters that were making their way to Paul from the church at this time. And so we have one half of the conversation. And we know from that one half, Paul's half of the conversation, that um, there were obviously issues in the church in Corinth about people not believing in the resurrection or questioning it. Uh, and that's clear to us from, from verse 12 of chapter 15. Paul writes, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And then at the start of the passage that Mike read for us this morning, in verse 35, Paul writes, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And so we don't have the full context of why this was being questioned, about why there was maybe some controversy in the Corinthian church about this. But scholars now who look back think there's probably, there's one of, it could have been a combination or one of these two kind of main theories. And the first theory is that it really came from um, from Judaism. The, the early church was, uh, was very Jewish, was very influenced by, by the Jewish faith, obviously. And there was this school of thought in Judaism, really, um, that the Sadducees were really strongly in favor of, was that there was no resurrection. You know, the, the body... The body died, it wasn't raised, and that was a that was a big kind of leading school in Jewish thought at the time. And the other side of it is is Greek philosophy. And so, you know, Corinth obviously is in Greece. Greek philosophy is very important to kind of Western thought even to today. And there's this idea in, in Greek philosophy that starts with Plato, it's called dualism. Sometimes it's called Platonic dualism, because Plato likes to get his name in there. Um, that really, uh, you know, refers to the fact that the the body and the soul are, are separate things and they're together while we're alive and living on earth. But then once we die, you know, the soul escapes and is free. And really our earthly bodies are, are essentially cages that hold in our souls while we're alive. But then at death, they separate and they're not, they're not joined again. And regardless of which of these two, you know, ideas was, was at play or a combination in the Corinthian church, there were these misapprehensions about life after death going on that Paul feels that he needed to write about. And fast forwarding to today and looking at our context and reading this 2000 years after it was written, I think there's still some misapprehensions in, in our church and also just in the culture at large about the resurrection. Not necessarily that, that those who are in the church question whether Jesus was raised from the dead, but I think a lot of us might just not be totally sure what happens when we die or, or what the Bible says about what's gonna happen to you know, to our souls for eternity. We just have, I think, a lot of us, this general idea that you die, if you, you know, belong to Christ, your soul goes to heaven, and happily ever after the end, period, nothing else. And 
and in part this might be you know influenced by our culture there's a lot of there's a lot of western art that depicts heaven as this place with fluffy clouds and this whole kind of group of angels and people who are there with god um this image is from this from a, a church in italy that kind of shows that and is very you know emblematic of what a lot of a lot of our art is like and there's a lot less art that i've ever come across or seen that depicts what a new heaven and a new earth is going to look like which the bible talks about and we're going to um, look at a bit more detail this morning and i also think as much as we don't talk about greek philosophy so much unless we're maybe doing a phd in it or something this idea of dualism still is pretty strong in our society there still is this idea that you know these bodies for lack of a better term can can kind of suck and and it is going to be great when you can just leave it behind and get freedom and, and there still is this very much idea of of the two being separate that i think kind of pervades western thought but if we go back and we look at the start of christianity that isn't what's what's going on it isn't what the church is preaching and if we look at two of the the earliest creeds we have they're very clear that the resurrect the resurrection of the dead is is a part of christianity it's one of the essential tenets of the faith so we start with the nicene creed that's from the you know the early fourth century this is just the last part of it. this isn't the whole thing just this last section of it says we believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church we affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come amen and similarly, the Apostles' Creed, which is even older, um, has a very similar, you know, last stand. And it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And I think it's telling that both of those, you know, essentially say the same thing, resurrection of the dead, a resurrection of the body. I don't think the, the difference in wording huge in matters. Um, but they both talk about that as a central, important part of Christianity that needs to, you know, we got to put in the creed, we got to get in there. It's it's an important thing, and so you know, it's great to understand that the early church thought that. But let's let's go back even further now and and take a look at the passage and see see what Paul says about it. So moving on to kind of point two, what Paul has to say about the resurrection here, what he really wants to get across, I think, in this letter. Is, is firstly, it's pretty simple. It's the resurrection of the dead is going to happen. It's, it's, a, it's an event that's going to happen in history. It's coming. And second, that it's going to happen when Jesus returns at, at the second coming. And so in verses 50 to 53, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. And in this context, when Paul writes about the fact that we will not all sleep, Sleep here is referring to death. So the idea is that we won't all uh, die before this happens, but everyone who, who is alive at that time will changed, as well as those who have already passed away. And the last trumpet here is a reference to, to the second coming of Christ. And a little more context is given a little earlier in this passage in verses uh, 20 to 23 of chapter 15. Paul says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, 
the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So it's clear that the resurrection, what Paul is trying to say here really is that the resurrection of the dead is going to happen, and the time when it's going to happen is when Christ returns. And we don't, in the New Testament, we don't just have Paul on this. We also have Jesus who teaches um, that the resurrection of the dead is going to happen as well. So in John 5, at, at verses 28 and 29, Jesus talks about this. And, and the context in John 5 is that Jesus has just healed a man on the Sabbath and has, has defended that. And then now he's essentially teaching a, a group of people. And, and in this teaching, Jesus says, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and his here is referring to the son of God himself and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. So in first Corinthians 15, what Paul is doing is he's reiterating, he's explaining further. He's giving us more context about the fact that those who belong to Jesus will be resurrected to eternal life when he returns. So going forward to kind of the third point, this really begs the question of what are these bodies going to look like? The question that seems to be going around the Corinthian church is what do you mean resurrection? How does that happen? What does that mean? What does that look like? And so, so Paul here, you know, devotes some time to, to looking at that. And he says that they will be changed at Christ's coming and given a new type of body and if, if you know me well, you know that I really like to know things. I really want to know the specifics. I'd love to know what's going to happen tomorrow and next week and next year and in five years. Um, so that part of me really wants Paul to just say, you know, Jordan, here's exactly what it's going to be like in detail. Um, but that's not what we get. We, we get a few different kind of images of what it's like. Paul uses some illustrations from nature to tell us, but we don't have, you know, the, the exact specifics like, like we might want if, you're, if your brain works like me. Uh, so the three kind of illustrations that Paul uses, the first one is that he talks about the fact that there's different kind of bodies in this created world already. Humans have one type of bodies, one type of body, animals have a type of body, fish have another kind, birds have another kind. And obviously those are very different. But Paul's trying to say, you know, what do you mean you can't understand how there would be different kind of body? Obviously a human is way different from a bird or a fish or anything else. And he also talks about how there are different types of bodies that have been created by God that are in the universe. There's the sun, there's the moon, there's the stars, there's the earth, and they're also all different and have different qualities as well, but God's created them. So clearly God can create, you know, very different bodies in different contexts for different things. And the third illustration that, that Paul uses that I confess I like the most and like the kids and Leah really nailed earlier was, was talking about our natural bodies that will die and be buried like a seed. And the fact that, you know, a seed is a small thing. It, it comes off a living thing. It dies. It's buried. It's raised from the ground as a new life. And in this whole new form that's very different than, than what a little seed looks like, I think is a really powerful metaphor. Um, and it really kind of, I like it, I think, because it helps you to imagine what it might be like. We don't know. But really, you can, you know, you can imagine how different a tree is from, from a seed. And, and this metaphor really makes me think of the fact that when, when I was little, um, in my, my childhood backyard, we had these maple trees that, that there's three of them and I have two older sisters. And so there was, you know, one tree for each of my sisters, one tree for me. And these trees were planted. I don't know if I was alive or I was very young when they were planted, but my tree was always the smallest. And I was, 
as siblings are very concerned that mine was the smallest. Obviously, it should have been the biggest, clearly. Uh, but uh, but I was worried about that. And and when I was a kid, I remember it being so small and puny. It was in the corner of the yard, and then there was a tree house in front of it, so you couldn't even see it anymore. But but by the time we sold that house and moved when I was in university, the tree was huge. The tree was a problem. It was reaching out into neighbors' yards. So we had to cut limbs off, and people were complaining because it was dropping leaves everywhere. Um, so, you know, it, I just like the metaphor of of how this you know this little seed can be something much bigger and much greater than you could have imagined when you planted it. So I think that's really um, yeah maybe helpful illustration that Paul gives us that we can that we can imagine a bit because we don't know specifically about what the body is going to be like our resurrected body. But he does give us a little more that we can go off of about our resurrected bodies. So he tells us in, in verses 42 to 44, chapter 15, that the body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And the weak perishable bodies that we have now they're fit for this earth but they're not fit for the new earth that's going to come at the resurrection as paul says in this passage flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god and i know this is a little bit of an aside but it may be that there are people who are who are listening to this this today or might listen to this in the future and this might not sound like a good word it might not sound like a good thing that we're going to get new bodies you know people um you might have experienced illness, sickness, you might have, you know, a physical limitation or a physical issue, and you might be really tired of, of doctor's appointments and treatments, and you might say, you know what, God, I would really love to leave this body and to be done with bodies and, and to just, you know, go to heaven and, and live with you when when this life is done. And and I think that to those people, I'd just say that, that what Paul writes here really is good a good word about our resurrected bodies that these bodies we're going to get aren't like the ones we have now these new bodies they're going to be glorious they're going to be powerful they're going to be incorruptible they won't be susceptible to sickness to death and decay that our present bodies are so i just think regardless of 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 your body now and and the issues it might have or might not have um these new resurrected bodies are just going to be so much better than than we can imagine so that's that's what Paul tells us a bit about you know what our bodies are going to be like when we're resurrected, and so the bigger question um, going forward to kind of the fourth point is is how does this whole thing how does this resurrection of the dead fit into the gospel where is this where is this coming from where is it going how do we how do we place this in and to understand that we really need to go back to the beginning of the earth to to creation uh, to go back to to the garden. And so Genesis 1 tells us that when God has made the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the fish, the birds, and the animal of the land, he saw that it was good. And then God created mankind in his own image, and afterwards, God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, until the fall, until sin entered the world, and they brought and it brought death. And so, so God was with Adam and Eve. He walked with them. Um, he was he was present with them until the garden, until there was sin, until they were tempted and they sinned. And I haven't thought about this before, but not only was it the case that you know God was with Adam and Eve in the garden, 
but there's no indication in the Bible that Adam and Eve ever would have died or gotten sick, right? Their bodies, you know, would have been susceptible to corruption and decay before sin entered the world. Uh, the garden was this place where, where humankind dwelt with God. It was perfect. Um, yeah, and they, and they wouldn't have to suffer death. But that changes when sin enters the world. And God says to Adam as, you know, and Adam and are just being kicked out of the garden. He says in Genesis 3.19 to Adam, By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And if you've gone to many, you know, kind of traditional Christian funerals, you might have heard that line before, because it's part of the Book of Common Prayer that's used by some, some backgrounds. And, and the line of the Book of Common Prayer when you're interning a body is you say, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And the reality is we have this inheritance from Adam and from all of our forefathers that's just that. It's that when, when this body dies, it'll return to the earth It'll be, you know, it'll be ashes. And really that, that inheritance is that physically will die. But on the flip side, the good news is that we have this different inheritance from Christ. And that inheritance from Christ is life. And Paul in this passage, he calls, he calls Jesus the last Adam. In verses 45 to 47, he writes, So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. So as our physical bodies will die like Adam's did, and like everyone who's lived before us, our bodies will also be resurrected as Christ was. You know, earlier in, in this chapter, Paul calls Jesus the first fruits of those who has died and talks about the coming harvest of the others who have, who have died. And I... You know, this concept of first fruits really is about the very the fruit that's right at the very beginning of the harvest. You know, it might be in the vineyard, some really kind of juicy grapes that are already plucked and eaten or made wine with. But there's this whole vast vineyard that's coming, um, that's coming ripe, and it's going to be harvested in the future. And and that you know that whole vineyard, all those, the rest of that fruit that's going to be harvested is is us, is is those two who belong to Christ, who either have died or, or are going to die before He returns. And the reality is that our resurrection here is a part of something bigger. There's this, there's this battle that starts when, when sin enters the world, when the fall happens, when death enters the world. And that battle starts then, and it doesn't end until Jesus comes again. So the, kind of the power of, of, of the cross and the resurrection starts when Jesus is raised. But that battle until, with death doesn't end until, um, until Christ returns. And Paul says this, you know, in, in verse 54, he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And he quotes from the Old Testament and says, um, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And Mike preached about this last week, but Paul says here that the last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death, that Jesus when he comes again, will destroy all his enemies, but the last one is death. And I think that, you know, if you're, if you grew up in the church or have been around church for a while, you'll hear things like that said, and you'll sing them in songs um, and can read them. But I think the reality of that can kind of wash over us. We don't necessarily take it in and think about it. But the idea that, you know, death will be a thing of the past and just won't happen anymore, uh, 
is is amazing and pretty you know pretty hard to fathom the idea that you know we're not constrained by these physical bodies one day one day they'll all die and they'll pass on but that doesn't mean that we'll die uh is is pretty amazing it's the thing i want us to kind of hear fresh today and actually take in and this whole redemption of of our bodies is part of a redemption of the entire world the bible talks about there being a new heaven and a new earth that is coming and i just want to you know read to you a, a vision of that that comes from isaiah 65 that god gave to israel through the prophet isaiah hundreds of years before jesus was born and and in isaiah 65 we get this vision of a new heaven and a new earth and and it's pretty amazing so um so listen to this isaiah 65 this is 17 to 24 see i will create new heavens and a new earth the former things will not be remembered nor will they come to mind but be glad and rejoice forever in what i will create they will build houses this is talking of god's people they will build houses and dwell in them they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit no longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat for as the days of a tree so will be the days of my people my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer them. While they are still speaking, I will hear them. In the New Testament, we have um, you know, a prophecy as well about the new heaven and new earth that comes from Revelation. And this is from Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And really this, this image is the completion of the Lord's prayer. This is when God's kingdom completely will come. And this is when his will shall be done on earth entirely as it is in heaven and i think you know this morning I, I would say we should hear those words anew and really and really take them in and they're they're easy to kind of hear if you're used to hearing them but um they're an amazing reality that that is life-changing so lastly i just want to talk about a couple a couple more points about about why this all matters so so you know paul writes because he wants to make this clear to the corinthian church and I think it's important for us to be clear on this too, but, but why does this all matter? Why does it matter we understand the resurrection and that, you know, we are going to be resurrected when Jesus comes again. And so there's a lot of things I could sit here, but I just have two, two thoughts I want to leave us with. And so the first is that the resurrection of the dead really speaks to God's character and to God's power. We live in a world where sin and death win all the time. You know, we hear about sickness and death on the news every day. We don't need to be reminded of it. But the reality of Easter, of Jesus' resurrection, and of our coming resurrection, is that death in the end will lose. And though we might physically die before Jesus' return, 
will be raised and given an immortal, incorruptible body, and one that is fit for the new heaven and the new earth, and fit to live with God himself. We don't believe that this life is just one of many lives. We don't believe that our soul can just bounce between different people or animals over many lifetimes. And it's not as if we're just here by random and placing these bodies by random. That's, that's not how we believe it works. God made us in his image, and he intentionally gave us these bodies that we have. And when sin entered the world, and these bodies were corrupt and became susceptible to death, Jesus interceded and defeated death so we could experience life with God as it was supposed to be. We can essentially go back to Eden to get to live in a new heaven and a new earth. And as I just read from Revelation a minute ago, you know, God's dwelling place will be among his people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And so that's what we have to look forward to, the earth as God intended it and our bodies as God intended them. And it's, I think it's just important to note that it's not as if God placed us here and made the world and made humanity and then said, oh, it looks like things aren't going so well anymore and just, and just walked away. Time and again the, in the Bible, we see you know, Israel's plight and, and they get into all this trouble and they turn away from God, but God hears their prayer and comes to them and rescues them. And that's what Jesus does for, for all of the world. And the second thought I just want to leave you with is that the resurrection really demonstrates God's design for humans to be embodied. So when the old order of things has passed away, we're still going to have bodies. It's not as if it's not as if our souls will fly off and, and, and be gone from bodies forever. And you know, we were meant to have bodies. Isaiah 65 is this beautiful image that has stuck in my mind as I've been thinking about this a bit this week. It's this image of God's people planting vineyards and eating fruit, building their own houses and living in them and enjoying the work of their own hands, of not laboring in vain and of there being no more sickness and no more death. In this new heaven and new earth, you know, what Isaiah 65 describes sounds like real physical stuff we would recognize. Um, it sounds like work, but it also sounds that it's work as it should be and it always was meant to be. It sounds like work without exploitation or abuse or anyone being taken advantage of. And God doesn't promise us that we'll just go up to a place in the sky. Um, he promises us that we will get a new body. And I, and I think for lack of a better way of explaining it, this means that there really is something special and important about our human bodies. God designed them in his image and our resurrected bodies, you know, the Bible says, will be in Christ's image. And I think you know, this really means that there's value in these bodies, there's dignity in them. And, you know, when sin entered the world, God decided that he wouldn't just leave us and say, oh, making bodies was a bad idea. I guess they don't work out so well. Uh, you know, he chose to come and redeem us and to redeem the whole world. And the resurrection is a part of that. And I think this needs to, to inform how we treat our bodies. We treat other people's bodies here and now before, you know, on this side of, of, the re of our resurrection. These bodies aren't just cages for our soul. They're not just to be used and abused and thrown away, but they have innate worth and value and dignity that comes from God who created them. And although these bodies will one day give way, and one day, you know, all of our hearts will stop beating, we'll take our last breath, we know that isn't the end. We know that a new heaven and a new earth are coming, and that those who belong to Christ will live eternally with him. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. 
Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.